Hi, I'm Leon Gorin, president of PEO Leadership, a peer-to-peer leadership advisory firm. We're an amazing community of CEOs, presidents, and senior executives. Ask yourself, are you learning as fast as the world is changing? It's time for Ontario business leaders to band together for counsel and support. It's time for you to tap into the business wisdom of our peer groups and unlock new ways to grow. I want you to come out of this COVID crisis a better leader and your organization ready for what's next. Take the first step at peo-leadership.com. banking system and so that can withstand shocks we have you know a playbook you know for federal reserve and other central bank officials in terms of you know various tools they've come up with to be helpful to you know keep markets a little more stable notwithstanding this last you know this sharp sell-off and obviously now what you're going to see is a whole bunch of you know government stimulus measures from you know governments around the world i think you know trudeau was speaking as i was driving back from a client meeting here uh, now they've announced you know the g7 is actually trying to coordinate activity so you're certainly going to start to see a lot more things that will be supportive of you know economic activity managing through the tough period over the next while and uh, you know maybe a couple things we were showing just to give a sense of you know we're we're well we would be characterized as value investors and we mean more like buyers of value as opposed to, you know, you're trying to buy companies trading at a discount to, you know, asset value because, you know, buyers of value mean you can be buying high quality businesses where you think the, the growth is underappreciated. You know, it could be, you know, based on the assets of the company, it could be, you know, you feel there's, you know, the cash flow is being underappreciated in terms of the valuation. So a number of things can be, defined as buyers of value. But, you know, in this graph, we're just showing that when the U.S. market sold off post the internet bubble, the Russell value index, not not only outperformed the S&P 500, but it went up in absolute terms. You know, know, we, we can't forecast that this is going to be a similar environment because let's face it, like, you know, Monday and Thursday, were two of the worst days. I mean, Thursday was the worst day in the Canadian market in 80 years. And it did not matter what you owned. Like you you couldn't sell one thing and say, well, I bought this other thing because it was going up, uh, this other stock. Uh, it was just a across the board sell off. Like, like you just, one couldn't imagine. Clearly there was no analysis in those sell offs of, oh, well, this business actually is only going to have a minimal impact through this period. It, everything was getting, was clearly getting uh, beaten up severely. And then we just put in, I guess, you know, it's uh, just a little plug for, you know, you know, when you have balance you know, on the next page 12, our 1995, 2002 experience, you know, the blue line here is if someone who was in our balanced uh, fund through that period. And, you know, part of this is just to show the benefits of, of having a diverse portfolio. Um, if you, you know, in this case, you know, it's equities, cash, fixed income, but, you know, as Greg will talk about in a couple of minutes, there are other asset classes that we think can come into play here to provide diversification as the world has evolved to offer more things. But the reality is this picture shows that, I mean, you had the U.S. stock market do really well. The NASDAQ, you know, the tech-led NASDAQ was the outlier having phenomenal performance, uh, you know, leading into the early 2000s. But typically those extremely valued things get, uh, or bubbles get corrected in such a meaningful way that if you have not been, you know, if you've been willing to sort of forego some return by not taking on that risk when things are really, 
you know, moving and because you can't predict when the end of those bubbles is going to be, then you tend to fare well coming through them. And that, uh, that was our experience then. And that's uh, what we would, uh, um, you know, that's what we're counseling to clients now. So um, I, I guess I'll just make a couple of closing comments. I hope uh, that gives you a sense of, uh, you know, what we're thinking in terms of uh, current market environment. Um, you know, we're starting to be a little constructive. You know, it's difficult to say if the, you know, the panic is, is truly over. We think it's largely over because now we're moving into the period where you're starting to get information that is much more concrete on what's actually happening with how we're going to, you know, uh, governments, healthcare uh, systems are going to be managing, you know, what's happening with the coronavirus. Uh, said we now have monetary stimulus measures which are being announced, and we're going to start to get, you know, significant fiscal stimulus measures. I, you know, when people are worried about health, you know, there will be a little bit of a disconnect between okay, we're announcing something that's going to help the economy or, you know, monetary situation. They may not necessarily connect right away with, oh, well, that may mean I should, you know, not be a panic seller of stocks, but we think those two things will come together to start to provide some stability to markets moving, uh, moving forward. So I'm going to turn it over to Greg to talk a little bit more about, you know, our thoughts on sort of portfolio construction from here and, and things that we might uh, recommend. And if people have questions. No, I, just, uh, Greg, I know we're going to go over to you in a second here. Um, just also, I know we got 20 minutes left on the call and you're going to talk about portfolio diversification. My question to you is, is portfolio diversification really what we should be thinking about right now? Or should we be focusing our strategy more around the opportunity? So for say, if people are sitting on cash, because there have been a lot of people sitting on cash thinking that the market had been overvalued, should they think still be thinking about diversification or should they be thinking, okay, well, the market here has just been hit so hard. Where should I be placing my cash? And then when and how they should be doing it. So sorry, Greg, if I get you a little bit off topic here, but I thought no, it's, maybe- a, it's, a, it's a very relevant question, actually. And uh, we, 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 we've had a, like, if you look at the page 13, it's a good, it's a good framework to have that to answer the question, but it, it's such a uh, interesting question for this point in time, because if you look at the kind of the traditional asset mix of 60, 40, and basically fixed income at, at that 40% has been cash because it's been, the returns have been so, um, so meager. It's been almost a cash proxy. And I, I, I would say on average, most of our clients were below that because the balanced fund that we would have many of our clients in was even below that 60% exposure. And so to answer your question, yes, we, we think you should be putting money to work in the market. And that's to John's point we were discussing last night and we, we, you know, without getting very precise, but we were, we were below 50% weighting in, in equities, uh, the rest of it being bonds and cash. And we, we decided to grow that number uh, out of the gate this morning based on last night's discussion, not knowing how the market would open it by you know, a meaningful amount, like a very meaningful amount. Uh, probably the biggest one-time move we've made uh, entering stocks uh, from cash in the history of the firm. So, yeah, I, Leon, without question, yes, uh, as the market comes off here, it's becoming more attractive. Okay, thanks. Yeah, and then and then really the point of page thirteen isn't to say well what you should do tomorrow. It's to show that 
obviously without being diversified because these black swan events come along and you never know when they're going to come along. That's why they're called black swans. But it would be a very rough ride for somebody on the left side of the page that was in, you know, 60% stocks or, or higher. And in fact, 100% stocks, it's been a tough year. You're down 22%. On the S and P 500, if if somebody was diversified, even you know at a 60 40 um, basis, you're still looking at down 12 or 13 percent. It's not great. Um, and if stocks behave the way they're supposed to, you know, you, you know, up seven percent, the bonds might give you two. You'd, you'd get a five percent year. And you know, for people that have made money, that's that's not a bad. Uh, it's not like the old days, but that's that's a pretty good return. It's it's all about preserving capital and growing it, but but having that margin of safety. And all all we we're suggesting on page thirteen, uh, Leon, is that there are other asset classes that don't behave with the volatility of the public equity markets. They don't go up as fast when you have an up fifteen or twenty percent year in the equity markets, and, and and they don't go down as fast. They certainly don't go down as fast. And and that that really is what we're trying to show that on page thirteen on the right side is that. More and more people that uh, we work with have been looking at uh, alternative assets that we've been uh, we've been bringing to the table, and, and um, instead of having so much equity and, and fixed income, we carve some of it out and and look at things like private credit and uh, and infrastructure that have you know like a seven percent return, nine uh, or ten percent return on on infrastructure. These are I think we want to highlight really interesting tools. The the drawback is you don't get your money back tomorrow. But for somebody who's accumulated, you know, a meaningful amount of wealth, uh, these illiquid assets that don't have the volatility, uh, but generate nice returns over the long term, I think they have to become a meaningful part of your portfolio. Uh, I, I think I think the days of having, you know, the foot all the way on the gas in the public equity markets and all the way on the brake to try and take money out, I, I, I just think that's a very tough way to to grow uh, to grow your wealth over the long period of time. That was the point here is that we're we're doing more and more of these things um, on private credit and infrastructure, and it's delivering much better uh, uh, returns in a volatile market, as you would see on the right side of the page. Sorry, I think that's it. And we, we, we open it to questions at, at this point in time, and, and thank you, everybody, for, uh, for taking time. Before we head into the Q&A portion of this webcast, first, a brief note about PO leadership from one of our members. What I love about PEO Leadership right now is how well our members are supporting each other and rising to face the COVID-19 challenge. Paul Zadorsky, Senior Vice President, Crayola International. Business is all about being able to rapidly adapt to change, but how do you learn as fast as the world changes? PEO Leadership lets you tap into the collective wisdom of some of Canada's top executives. Having that peer group and broader leadership community to lean on, it makes all the difference. The time to step up and lead is now. Go to peo-leadership.com. Shane Smith has a question. Question, Shane, go ahead. Yeah, just kind of maybe more of a comment. Um, someone showed me a graph just a couple of days ago that that showed with showed what happened with the stock market with the SARS, um, uh, you know, event, and uh, basically within days of the WHO declaring SARS a global pandemic, um, the stock market started to go back up. Um, so I don't know if we're going to see the same thing here because you know it is this is different than than SARS, but. I think with the market 30% down, um, I mean, whatever your portfolio looked like up to this point, um, you're either screwed or you're not screwed per your slide 13, right? But most yep. people don't have 100% uh, of their money in equities. Um, I would say that at this point, um, you've got a couple choices. It's it's shitty to basically now think that we've got to sit around and wait for our stock portfolio to you know take another six months to return to normal. 
Um, you, you can actually do a couple things uh, with your portfolio. Now, if you have any dry powder, if you have any safe money and fixed income or whatever, um, I, mean, I mean, you can maybe comment on how advisable it is to, to now move that into the equity markets. Um, the second thing you could do uh, is if you have equities um, that have sustained some losses and you've, um, you've been kind of waiting to, to trade those, you couldn't sell them because they were going to trigger capital gains now you're free. Um, now, now you're able to, to reposition a lot of the equities within your, your, your portfolio um, into things that you wish you'd had. Um, and they won't trigger capital gains. You might, you know, crystallize some losses. So you might want to just comment on that strategy. I'm more interested in what we do going forward than, you know, what we should have, could have done. Yeah, I, I hopefully, well, I apologize if we didn't answer Leon's question directly, but absolutely. And that, that was the discussion we had last night is, you know, we, we, we went in with, with a fairly conservative asset mix, if you want to call it that. And, and we, we, we made a decision last night and we think the same thing would apply to uh, anyone else that has a, uh, you know, a reasonable risk tolerance that uh, they, they should be buying equities here. We don't know if it's the bottom, but we, we, we're starting to buy with a high degree of, of uh, confidence that stocks are cheaper than they were um, 30% ago and that this thing will come to an end at some point in time. We can't predict when, but we, we, absolutely this is the time when you want to start to buy equities and the, your comment on the SARS is very valid and uh, you know, every time there's a, a situation like this, it's a little different, but when you get maximum pessimism built into the, into the market and, and, and good companies are for sale, uh, we have to buy them. So I 100% agree this is the time to start buying stocks. Greg, just sorry, Leon. I just wanted to comment on the the second part. Uh, is it Shane who made the comment? Uh, I totally agree. Like we, that was one of the things in the last week was, in particular, like looking at the equities in your portfolio, and everything's getting beaten up. I mean, it's, it's, you couldn't avoid it. But then other stocks that you were interested in that have now come down to prices that are attractive enough that you'd prefer to own that business. We actually have uh, sold some things that, you know, we thought we liked, but then you can buy an even better quality business that, uh, you know, equally attractive or better return. So we have that in order to uh, take a loss to move into a better company. I agree with that. Uh, that's something we have been doing. Thank you. Um, it's fantastic. I just have a question. I don't know if you can hear me. Sure. Yeah. 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 Are, what's your views on, are you watching what is taking place in China as a signal of, as they start to come out of this, possibly, if that's in fact true, uh, will the market react to kind of that signal that, okay, China is coming out of this, so there's more certainty that this will only last for two or three months? Um, well, maybe I'll start. And I guess the question is on China and sort of their recovery. Yeah, I'm going to make a couple of comments. You know, clearly, you know, China appears to have you know, already made a fairly decent recovery and they're starting to put uh, you know, people back to work. You know, the challenge is, you know, putting them back to work to, you know, create products or, or uh, supply chain going to your customer base who's not buying at the moment. But just from the, the, you know, the first part, which is the key is, you know, can you manage the, you know, have they come through the health risk part of it so that they can actually get back people back to work? And, and I, it, it appears they 
have to a large extent. You know, I think one of the issues is people are distrustful of Chinese data. And I think that is a bit of an overhang on, you know, you know, have they truly come through it or not? I actually think Italy is going to be the more interesting one for data simply because they've done essentially what China did in Wuhan. They've, they've locked down, you know, a massive region, in this case, the whole country. So over the next two to four weeks, you're going to know how many people have it, what the effects are, and what the, you know, the drop down then is the number of cases. So I kind of feel that the data coming out of Italy is going to be fairly important because then that will be the true playbook in a sense of how this thing can evolve in Western-based uh, countries. And, and you know, I mean, maybe Italy needed to lock down because their, you know, acute care medical facilities aren't as good as a lot of other countries. But because of what they've done, I think the data from there will be quite telling and maybe, you know, helpful in kind of giving people confidence about how other countries get through this. Greg, I don't know if you had further thoughts on that. No, no, no. just, just um, one quick comment that uh, we, we, we've never seen in, in, in 10 years an opportunity to buy high quality businesses at the valuations we're seeing now. And, and so on, on the tax uh, selling it's actually it actually was 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 timely in that we we've, we've sold some things that had gains that we were less excited about but we we could never get there because we didn't have anywhere to put the money and so we're able to do that now and, and buy companies that are, we, we we just we think are phenomenal businesses and we didn't have a, a look at them for 10 years so it's that kind of a market right now Any other questions? We've, we've put everybody, we've unmuted, so you're controlling your own mute. So if you'd like to ask a question, you just, you can go ahead and ask. So Leon, it's Stan again. Thanks for putting yep. us on, by the way. We appreciate that. Um, Follow-up question, is there companies that will not make it through in large companies? Like you think of the airlines and some of these companies that, um, just simply won't make it through um, the next couple of months. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Yeah. So that, that's the challenge in these things: is the the panic behavior, which was is just kind of human DNA. It, it leads to things that you know, like nobody's flying, and, and Cathay Pacific would be one example. Uh, of a company that had a great product. I mean, it's just an amazing brand, and and to fly there over to to Asia, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, into Hong Kong, it's just a great experience. And and you know, you go through uh, some of the challenges with the riots in Hong Kong, and the, and the traffic was down. And then you get into this situation, and they're they're, you know, they're they're flying with planes that are twenty uh, percent full, and then eventually they get banned in terms of being able to take people out of China to various countries. That's an example of a really good company that just had the perfect storm. And unfortunately, that industry has operating leverage and financial leverage. That would be a, a name that just for a variety of reasons, and it, it makes you realize how uh, fragile brands and, uh, and, and even investing can be you know, when these events unfold. And we, there's a long list of them, but you know, it, if the longer this thing goes on, companies with financial leverage and operating leverage, they're going to struggle. I mean, you could look into the, uh, into the oil patch, for example, in, in Calgary, and there'd be a, a long list of names of companies that didn't look like they had impaired balance sheets when, when uh, oil was $65. And, you know, they're not going to last too long right now. And that's why you've seen some of the banks 
react the way they have. There's a lot of exposure with a couple of the banks uh, in terms of lending in Calgary. Yeah, I think in general, if you have to rely on capital markets to fund your tough periods, so any leverage business that needed to raise equity or debt, like, you know, not notwithstanding low rates, I, I think it's going to be a challenge over the next uh, two or three months. And clearly, you know, like was we mentioned earlier, high costs, like shale producers are obviously vulnerable airlines, you know, other uh, stocks that are related to, um, you know, entertainment travel, you know, in, over the next while are, are clearly going to struggle. And it's whether your balance sheet has the ability to withstand uh, this tough period. Gentlemen, what, what's your read on the Canadian banks then? Because the, the yields today are extremely great from the dividend side. But what's their exposure to the Canadian oil industry? Like, are we exposed by being in these banks today? Are they, are they great buys? Well, I mean, I, I guess make a couple of comments. You know, we do think banks have probably been oversold here. I mean, you know, part of why they got hit so hard was on one hand, the loans to the energy sector as a percentage of their total loans is quite small. But then people started looking at, well, those loans as a percentage of their equity base are much more meaningful. And that's, you know, I think why the stocks have sold off so much. And, um, but, you know, I, I still think, you know, it's a very, you know, clearly, you know, protected sector in Canada, well-regulated. I think governments would be very supportive if there was an issue uh, with one of the banks. And, you know, when you look at those energy loans, I mean, clearly not all of the energy companies are going to go under. And, um, you know, so it's a much smaller percentage than what the actual loans were, even in a really you know, dire scenario for the energy patch. So... I do think the banks have sold off too much relative to the perceived potential damage from the energy exposure and yields uh, make them, you know, additionally attractive, uh, you know, clearly attractive uh, at, at these levels. You know, maybe you, maybe you would, and I'm not trying to pick on uh, BMO, maybe because it had the highest, you know, energy exposure percentage of its capital, maybe you'd be a little reluctant to be as exposed there yet, but uh you know, Royal TD or, you know, well-run, very diversified franchises and um, and then, you know, maybe the others, you know, a little down the pecking order right now. Okay. Not, not that I want to hog the space. One other question coming back to the dry powder element of timing of your investing. Today, you, you guys talked about you really put your money to work. How much dry powder do you, have you left behind over the next few weeks? Like, are you doing it on an averaging basis? Are you going big? Like if, if there are people in this room today who are sitting on the cash and they're just worried about the timing, how would you tell them to, to go about doing this? A little bit a day, take their 100% of cash? Any advice to them on that stuff? Yeah, the, the, the approach we take is, is that you have to remove the emotion and we didn't know the market was going to open up tonight. We kind of chuckled that it might because we we're having this discussion about how much to put to work. And we said, watch it. It's going to open up higher because we're having this discussion. It was, and, and sure enough it did. But what we, you know, we, we, we said, well, for the clients in this one product that we managed to give them their risk tolerance, we wanted to have, we wanted to have a 55% um, exposure to equities. And we, we were, we were, we were much lower than that. We we're in the, in the low forties. And we, 
we said, okay, we're down, we're down, uh, you know, 27% from the high. We don't know, but it's not, it's not in the realm of, of impossibility that it could be down 50% because John and I, and, and, and most people on the phone have been around for at least one or two of those, if not three. And that's possible. And so we, we just kind of systematically said, okay, well, let, let's, if we want to get to 55, which is, um, you know, spending 15 points of that cash that we had, because um, that's what this discussion should be about. So we, we basically said there's three buckets of spending five points, five points, and five points. And we said tomorrow, which was today, unless the markets really go up, we're going to spend one third of it. And as it goes down, um, you know, another 10%, uh, which means you're now down from down 27%, you're down 37%. We're doing the next 5%. And if it goes down again in, in the 50s somewhere, percent down, we'll do that last 5%. We, just, we always say that. We can execute it a little differently, but that's how we're thinking about it. So we basically put one-third of the cash. We had tried to do so uh, to work today uh, in terms of how much cash ultimately we would want to put to work in this environment. We, we said we'll do one-third today. And I think I think that's prudent advice because who knows? You know what? I, I, it could be lower in, in a month. Um it might not, but we didn't want to spend all at once. Well, that's very helpful. It, it's Shane again. Um, can I just can I just ask? There, there's been a lot made of this whole issue with um, the speed of of the the downturn. Um, I, you know, if someone had asked me how I would feel about a two thousand point drop in the Dow, I don't know if I would have had an answer for them a few days ago, but. Um, are you guys really surprised by the by the speed of the downturn, given you know the automated nature of trading, the behavior of institutional investors, all that kind of stuff? Are, are you really that surprised that that this not has happened that quickly? Okay. No, 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 no. John, you can call. I, I'm not at all. In fact, it's strange, but this was a pretty calm week for me personally, and and uh, it, it was just you know, I just saw it unfolding, and I, I just thought, well, the elastic band got stretched so tight, and you had the black swan come, and then really it was all about not knowing it was going to come along, trying to be prepared for it. But when it unfolds, it does, this doesn't surprise me at all. So, so who's speed. selling? Is, is this primarily uh, retail investors that are selling? Is it institutional investors that just have stop losses? Or are, are there, is the, was the market that leveraged? Were people that leveraged? It's all of the above. There, there's leverage. There's, there's a really interesting piece on, um, on Bloomberg yesterday about uh, or somebody was asked at one of the large uh, – uh, one of our U.S. Uh, Wall Street firms about, uh, well, when do you think we'll get through the uh, the margin uh, selling? And he said, uh, we're, we're, we're through it real time. Like when you get called on your margin, um, you, they sell you out. And, and that's how you're, you're real time through your margin selling. So it's self-fulfilling in terms of the lower it goes, the more selling there is because it, I, there, there's a fair amount of, of margin uh, debt out there in, in terms of brokerage accounts. And we, we see it in a couple of the, the stocks that we've been looking at, and they, they, they provide disclosure. Uh, you know, the, the hedge funds have leverage. Uh, I would say in the last three or four years, you know, the whole ETF mania toward just buying the S&P 500, I, w- I would hazard a guess that many of the investors on the retail side uh, um, really don't know what they're buying. They would just buy the ETF because it had gone up 12% last year. And you know, don't don't know that they're buying. You know, fifty percent of that is is twenty stocks that don't have a lot of earnings underneath them. But but the stock market went up, and therefore they should buy it. I think you're seeing a lot of that unwound now. So I, I would it would be all of the above that 
that we're selling into this. But the, the program selling is probably the one feature that is new or, or more prominent this time around than it had been in previous uh, downturns. Thank you. Yeah, there was some decent data uh, trying to analyze things like these risk parity funds and, and other type of, you know, alternative products that, that may have been a big, a reasonable component of, of or contributor to the sharpness of this sell-off because of the way they're sort of forced rebalancing in their models. So, yeah, I would agree. Like, I think all of those things you mentioned were, you know, combined to make probably, you know, from this, not just this point, you know, like moving forward, you could maybe see in any similar scenario, you have an external shock that you're going to end up with, you know, sharp, steep moves um, because of the prominence of all these, uh, you know, products that are out there now. It's, uh, it's Tony. I have, a, I have a quick question. Uh, you guys spoke about how there are great buys out there, and, and uh, presumably those were companies that you saw intrinsic value in, but they were, they were overvalued or now they're undervalued, depending on how you look at it. Are you looking at any companies that will fare really well, given the product lines that they're in during this virus period, like a consumer goods company or a Pfizer that owns Purell or anybody that's going to, that's essentially selling a lot of their product during this, during the epidemic effectively? Uh, uh, to be honest, I would say we've been more biased towards businesses that we think post this period will do well because, you know, it could be that this period is fairly short. So the benefit a company, you know, receives will, will be very, you know, like such a short benefit, you know, it, it may not be a lasting one. So our bias has been towards businesses because also they'd be selling off. There's the ones that have been selling off even more that we think ultimately will recover once coronavirus, you know, the effect of that uh, dissipates. So would you be able to elaborate a little bit about um, some of these companies that you're saying um, might be undervalued now where people were panicking and selling off their stock, um, but are, are very um, attractive and will be doing very well um, after the coronavirus is done? Oh, well, maybe we'll, well, actually, interestingly, we, we will touch on uh, a couple of names, uh, I would say. Uh, one is that, um, you know, we, we actually started buying the restaurant brands uh, here, which obviously operates uh, Tim Hortons and then has Burger King and Popeyes. And, you know, that we think is a well-run quality business. Uh, clearly, Tim Hortons, you know, some of the, you know, the, it's had some challenges, but I mean, that was a stock that was trading at a pretty high multiple and uh, it is meaningfully corrected. So we've been, uh, we've been a buyer there. Um, in the U.S., uh, we recently added uh, a company uh, called you know, Enersys that does, you know, backup uh, power for um, a number of applications, industrial forklifts, like communication towers. And, um, you know, we feel you just even think of a trend like the rollout of 5G, which is going to require over the next many years, you know, thousands more small towers, all of which would come or small uh, cell sites, all of which require some form of 
form of backup power to ensure they still function if power systems go down. So there's a company that's come down in price uh, meaningfully that uh, we've been a buyer of. We um, trying to think of what else we initiated. You know, I we know, like, name, like sorry, go ahead. And, 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 and a name, a name uh, like a Mathenex, for example. It, it's not really a household name, but it, it, it's interesting that they make something that no matter what happens to the economy, it's needed. It, it's it's uh, uh, methanol, which sounds strange, but you, you need it for a number of different applications, like MTBE in your gasoline. It's mandated in the states and windshield wiper fluid, all kinds of things like this. It's, it's stocks like that are really interesting in that you can actually do the work on on the back of an envelope or or spreadsheets, and you can look at what what would it cost to rebuild their eleven or twelve different facilities, and and you you look at the stock price and you go, wow, it's trading at it's trading at two thirds of what it would cost to rebuild those assets, and you you need you you need that that. Commodity, it's a dirty word, right? Commodities, but you need that commodity. They're the lowest cost producer in the world. They don't have any financial leverage yet because the commodity price got uh, destroyed along with oil and, and, and just what every other commodity in this environment. The stock price got, it was cut in half. And you, you can easily figure out what the value is just to rebuild that franchise. And it's the leader in the industry with low cost. Something like that. It, it starts to get pretty simple to do the work on that, and uh, that's the beauty of the stock market. You, you can get stocks that are well below what it will cost to even rebuild the franchise, and that, that that's a good thing about the stock market that, that you can't do that in, in private markets. Great. So, gentlemen, I, I want to uh, thank you both. I know, Greg, we had you to one fifty, and I know you you're you're running off. Here. Thank thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us on this call. It's first time we've done this in terms of unusual times, I guess, uh, sort of bringing everyone together to uh, on a call. So, um, John, Greg, I think if you're looking for either of those gentlemen's phone number, either text Kelly, you know how to reach me, and I can hook you up with them for further questions. Thank you. All right, well, thank, thank you very much for everyone. For, for, Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank Leon for doing this. No problem, Shane. Have a great day. Okay. Bye, Bye guys. See you, Tony, Kelly.